Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give, and there's no regular commitment. Just click the link in the show description to support now. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Hi there. Hey, welcome to the Near and Queer to My Heart podcast. I'm your host, Amanda G., Thank you so much for all your support and love and for tuning in and for showing us your merch. We love it. We love hearing from y'all. So happy to be back with this episode. This is our first international episode. We interview Maxine Grossman coming to us from Canada. She's a writer. She's a stand-up. She's an actress. And she's all around a great guest to have on a podcast. We had such a good time. I was cracking up. She was cracking up. Great episode. So excited to bring it to y'all. Before we do, as you know, we like to make a few announcements. As always, we're a queer podcast coming to you from New Orleans. Uh, We talk with folks now all over the world. We're working on uh, becoming international. Uh, But I'd also, you know, like to tell you about some other, you know, local New Orleanians doing some cool stuff. So I just wanted to tell y'all about the Les Talk About It talk show. It's a live LGBTQ talk show that was created and envisioned by Misty Gaither uh, as a weekly talk show that embraces the Tonight Show's classic format. The show's aim is to bridge the gap between all communities, regardless of their orientation, gender identity, economic status, or race. Uh, Misty, along with her co-host Jeffrey Palmquist, discuss a variety of topics while shining the spotlight on unique individuals in our community. Let's talk about it also has its own music segment under the direction of the talented and amazing Vanessa Carr Kennedy. So just wanted to tell you all to check it out. You can find that everywhere. Find it on the Apple Store, Google, Roku, Amazon. Me, your near and queer to my heart host. I'm going to be on it coming up uh, May 19th. So be looking for that. And in the meantime, let's let's support each other. Uh, we did a crossover episode recently with Southern Queries. We're here and we're focused on community and bridging gaps and connecting and staying connected with other folks and so we're happy to support and let people know about other things that are happening that we think are kind of cool so check that out but right now check out me talking with maxine grossman all right and we are here with maxine grossman writer actor comedian professional overthinker with a flair for the whimsical and the deep that's pretty impressive, Maxine. <laughs> Thank you very much. Thanks for having me. Very excited to have you. This is our first official international you. You're in Toronto, right? I am. How is COVID in Canada? Because we assume that y'all are better at everything than Americans, that you're nicer, with that you always get the polite thing, I'm sure, that you're less selfish, that you take care of other people. Uh, you know, you have things like, ooh, universal health care. So we always look to our our neighbor in the north. Is COVID better there? Oh, man. As much as we would love to take on that we're the nicer neighbors, I wouldn't go so far as that, (laughs) unfortunately. It's all right. Burst my bubble. Go ahead and burst it. You know, well, COVID up in Toronto is an interesting adventure. I've been on the subway a few times and people just really don't feel like wearing masks sometimes. Apparently there was someone, I I just read an article today about someone who opened up their restaurant. Right now we're in lockdown. All our restaurants are supposed to be closed. You can't eat in them, only take out food. And someone just decided to open up their restaurant. And the premier, the guy who deals with our province, so similar to you guys in States, was just like, yeah, what are you going to do? Can't fault businesses for trying to do their thing. And we're like, dude, you're supposed to be in charge of keeping us safe and healthy. And it's like, what are you going to do? Yes. Yeah, it's it's a bit of a mess. I would say, I mean, yes, we're definitely better than or have been doing better than a lot of the U.S. just in terms of having 
any rules at all, really. <laughs> but uh, yeah, I wouldn't go so far to say that we're doing anything extremely great. People are still assholes, which is, I think, such a universal delight to have. No matter where you go, there's always going to be assholes. No matter where you go, there's always going to be lovely people. So I'm just trying to do my part. And most of my friends have been doing their parts as well. So that's good. Yeah, well, we all, I mean... No, I can't say we all, but hypothetically, everyone wants to get back to the way things were, but we don't want to put the work in. See, I thought that's a very American (laughs) way to look at it. Yeah, I mean, a lot of people feel that way, too. I think maybe it might be a generational thing. I don't know. I don't know if it's about wanting to put the work in. I've also been seeing a lot of stats where a lot of the cases that are rising are in communities with people who are working on the front lines and are you know, working, have been working as waiters, waitresses, hostesses at restaurants, things like that, frontline workers in hospitals, the people that we are seeing that have these cases, I can't speak to this. I'm not a journalist. I don't know. I've just read articles. So don't quote me on any of this. But uh, of the information that I've seen, uh, most of the cases typically come from lower income neighborhoods where it's, it's, you can't just work from home. You can't just not work at all. You need to put food on the table. You need to take care of your families. And so I think it's a larger systemic problem than just, you know, people wanting to do their part or people working hard. I think there's a large chunk of overprivileged, annoying people. But I think that there's also a larger systemic issue around taking care of our community financially so that they don't have to put themselves in harm's way. Um, And I think Canada is at least doing a bit better with that than (laughs) the US is doing. I hope so. Because we're our thing is like, too bad, pull yourself up by your bootstraps. Like that's the attitude we have instead of being like, wow, the whole system's unfair. So how can people advance in an unfair system? It is very difficult and you're fighting them at every step. Like it does, it's illogical. Yeah. And at least going to a hospital in Canada, if you survive COVID, you're not going to be in debt. Whereas I feel like in the US, if you survive COVID, all your money's gone. You've just given it all to the hospitals and medical care and there's nothing else you can do about it. Yeah. I read a, an article. Yeah. So don't quote me. I'm no, I'm no journalist, <laughs> but I read an article. Some guy survived COVID and got a million dollar hospital bill. Yeah. Like how are you? I, I lived in LA for at various points, two to three months each time. And I, in Canada, if I had like a sore throat, swollen tonsils, whatever, I would call up my doctor, go to my doctor, see, make sure it's nothing crazy, nothing out of the blue and just get that peace of mind. When I was living in LA, even though I had insurance there was still a copay and there was all this stuff. And I delayed going to the doctor for two and a half weeks to see if what I was dealing with would just go away on its own. Yeah. Welcome to America. It's so sad. Yeah. No, every time I go to the doctor, like I have uh, something that like it, it I, they could remove it. They, they don't have to. I just don't like it's like a little bump on my leg and they're like, it's fine. We'll remove it if you want to. And I'm like, how much is that going to cost? Mm-hmm. You know, it's everything's about. For me, everything, when I go to the doctor, it's about how much is this going to cost me? The last time I got my annual exam, which my annual exam is covered in my insurance, but they said, oh, we want you to do blood work. Then they put send me a bill for $600 for the blood work. Wow. So it's like, okay, well, then next year I won't get checked because I don't feel sick. I'm just trying to stay on top of things. Yeah. I come from a Jewish family that's just way back into generations of Jews who married Jews so far that my great grandparents were first cousins, married each other and had my grandparents and parents, etc. So there are a lot of medical issues in my family <laughs> that I worry if I wasn't in Canada, would I be alive? It's debatable. <laughs> <laughs> debatable. I mean, you know, if, if, if the medical stuff doesn't get me, the mental health stuff sure will. No, I'm joking. Um, <laughs> Yeah, no, I I definitely wonder. I mean, like, I I have a joke in my stand up about collecting autoimmune disorders, just like it's my hobby to collect things. And the thing that I've chosen is figuring out how many things could be wrong with my body at any given time. And thank goodness for Canada. Otherwise, I wouldn't get to collect the way I want to collect. I'd probably probably just suffer through the symptoms for an extended period of time. I love WebMD. It's my favorite. I feel like in another life, I would be a doctor. I never go on WebMD and find out I have cancer. I'm not that kind of person who like goes to the extreme. I'm like, no, these are my symptoms. This is what I have. And then at one point, one of my diagnoses, I diagnosed myself two months before my doctor did. And I was like, hey, oh, I could be a doctor now, obviously. (laughs) See, in America, I I would just hire you because I'm sure you're cheaper than my copay. Okay, cool. Yeah, I could be (laughs) cheaper than your copay. I'll I'll do it for like 20 bucks. (laughs) 
<laughs> that is my co-pay is 45 so you are beautiful <laughs> you are hired i uh so i'm i'm also jewish i don't know my family history that far back but i did ancestry dna and at first it came back and this was one of my stand-up jokes i was 93 percent jewish european jew and then as they've gotten more results as time's gone on I'm now 100% European Jewish. That happened to me too. I was originally (laughs) 99% European Jewish. I was so excited going into this being like, there's going to be something cool and diverse about me. And I found nothing. And then they're like, we changed up how we do what we do. And we have a new number for you. And I was like, oh, maybe there's like a 0.5% in there of something fancy. And it just made me 100%. Yeah, that's exactly what happened to me. I was like, I'm going to find some long lost half kid that my grandfather had that never told the family about like something cool is going to come from this like somewhere down the line somebody fucked somebody who wasn't jewish and no no we have a type i mean you never know i actually had someone reach out do you know this person this person da 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 and i can't go into details because obviously it's not my story to tell but someone reached out to me being like i think i'm related to you i don't know my parent this is the name i have so now i'm doing digging but they're like far enough extended that i don't really recognize the name but i'm still diving into my investigative journalist ah. excitement and uh, doing some Google search digging, social media. I'm really good at that stuff. <laughs> That's that, that was my dream for Ancestry DNA. I almost was like, give me my money back. <laughs> and then they were like, you are 100% Jewish. We got that confirmed. I wonder how many Jews did that and were like, oh, man. <laughs> well, we're, we're generally disappointed. We're <laughs> a generally disappointed people. So. That is so true. <laughs> we're never satisfied true. with anything. No. <laughs> No. Uh, did you grow up in Toronto? I did. Born and raised in Toronto. Toronto. And my, I was like, I know what I'm saying. Because we also don't know how to say any of the Canadian terms or words or phrases or <laughs> cities or provinces. We don't, we don't know how to do any of that. Say it again. Oh, so whenever, okay. In Toronto, we say it's Toronto. So we kind of drop the second T. Mm-hmm. But whenever I'm in the US, I always say I'm from Toronto because people never understand me if I say Toronto. But we should, you should make us, see, you're too nice. This is the thing where the, <laughs> we, our stereotype about Canadians is that you're always saying sorry and that you're so nice. And you're like, I'll adjust the name of my city to make you more comfortable. No. Well, it's kind of, it's it, it works both ways. It's the idea of like, it, may, it, it keeps us from having to repeat ourselves too many times. And But yeah, I mean, that's true. That's true. Okay, so it's Toronto. <laughs> Good. Because <laughs> <laughs> I also saw, and I want to get back more on the, the childhood thing, but for, real quick, sidebar, there's always sidebars. <laughs> I, like to, I like to put pins in things and sometimes I find the pins and sometimes... I forget that I put the pins there, but I saw on your on your resume that you can do an American accent, a Canadian accent, and a British accent. Mm-hmm. So what's the what what do you think are the main differences between the Canadian and the American accent? Well, Canadians typically speak very far forward. That's why you guys like to make fun of us when we say out and about. You guys hear it as out and about. I'm still trying to figure out how to hear it. I can tell in my mouth when it's too far forward. But Canadians typically speak quite far forward in their mouths, whereas Americans speak much farther back. It's a little bit lazier, the tongue. Not lazier because you're lazy people. Gosh, don't get me wrong. Lazier (laughs) just in terms of like the tongue is softer at the back of the mouth. Audio-wise, just the, the timbre and the tone is typically more grounded in the stomach. It's more guttural. Especially in Toronto, being a Toronto Jew, we can get a little nasally in how we speak. Sometimes if I'm talking to my Jewish friends for a little too long, it can get a little nasally and valley girl and annoying and almost bordering on a a New York accent, but not quite versus like being much further back in the US. And then British is just incredibly far forward in the mouth, but, but kind of pulls back a bit just emotionally (laughs) as well and then is much more grounded but yeah Canadians are very forward and Americans are much more laid back yeah that all that all checks I never really thought about the way you do it I just feel like I said with with Canada I just go by the yeah and then when Nickelback came out and this is probably aging myself their first song this is how you remind me they rhymed the word sorry what did I say sorry but they say sorry with the word story Mm mm-hmm and I couldn't get past that. I couldn't yeah. get on board with Nickelback for that very reason. Yeah, I really, I really, well, a lot of people don't like Nickelback <laughs> for a lot of reasons. I mean, I, my instincts were correct. I yeah. judged them based on this one thing. And <laughs> it was 100% right. And I stand behind that. It's very true. Uh, I would say generationally things are changing as well and location. So I find a lot of Toronto people will typically say sorry instead of sorry just because 
we're in the city, so we're more inundated with lots of different accents here. We also are tuning in, obviously, to a lot of American programming. So we hear that versus like I have cousins who live farther north and they all say sorry. But I, I say sorry. I typically try to avoid saying sorry. I think I only say sorry to items I accidentally bump into and then I say sorry to everyone else. Okay, so that, I like that for items. Yeah, inanimate objects. They're the only things yeah. that get my Canadian apology. <laughs> yeah, they're probably far more deserving than most living, <laughs> living beings. <laughs> so did you grow up like in Toronto? 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 Did I do it? Almost. Um, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so I, well, it's interesting. There's like Toronto proper. I guess no one calls it Toronto proper. I don't know why I just called it that, but I did. <laughs> it sounded very Canadian to me. Like, oh, <laughs> Proper. I feel so British. Proper. <laughs> um, so there's the GTA, which is the greater Toronto area. And that includes places like Scarborough. And I think Mississauga is counted in part of that. And so those are technically like cities outside of Toronto, but they're considered part of Toronto. And then there are the little boroughs of Toronto, which is like York, North York, Distillery District. And some people will not qualify North York as part of Toronto because it didn't used to be. But now it is. It's officially a part of Toronto. So Yes, I grew up in Toronto, but I grew up in like a small neighborhood that's just north of one of our largest highways. And I could still take the subway wherever I wanted to go. It's not like I lived far enough out that I needed a car, but I didn't live in like downtown Toronto. I wouldn't call myself a city kid. Okay, but you weren't like in a small town? No, unless you call the Jewish community of North York a small town, which it very much was. (laughs) I was going to ask, is there a large... Jewish population in in Canada in general? And it sounds like where you grew up, there was a Jewish population. Yeah, there's a really large Jewish population in Canada. The three main hubs of the Jewish populations that I'm aware of are Toronto, Winnipeg, and Montreal. I have this running joke that anyone, any Jew from the city of Toronto, if they tell me what neighborhood they're from, what school they went to and what summer camp they went to, I know exactly what kind of Jew they are. (laughs) We also joke too of being a Montreal Jew versus a Toronto Jew versus being a Winnipeg Jew. We're all very different kinds of Jews. And then within the city, there's a huge range of Jewish sects in Toronto alone. I would say the largest population maybe goes between Toronto or Montreal. I don't know if I would fight on Montreal yet. Montreal has a huge Jewish population, but Toronto is also very large as well. And so there's like one area that's super religious uh, or two areas that are super religious and other neighborhoods, which are a little bit more conservative versus secular, things like that. But yeah, pretty big Jewish population. What sect did you grow up in? I grew up in a more conservative sect, but I love lawyering people. So I very early on argued out of having to eat kosher food because <laughs> it just didn't make sense to me. But I grew up going to a Jewish day school and going to a Jewish summer camp and all of the things that are associated with being a Toronto Jew. I did, except for go to the Jewish high school, because once I reached 13, I was like, but mitzvah done. I'm out of here. And then I ended up joining a Jewish youth organization and going to an arts high school where it was mostly Jews and there was no escaping my people. (laughs) (laughs) But yeah, I grew up, I would say conservative, but I did have a bat mitzvah. So I wasn't so religious that I as a woman was not allowed a bat mitzvah. And also, and I, I know this, but I think it always sounds weird to say conservative because that in America, at least, you know, that's what we call not liberal. It's conservative politically, but in the Jewish religion, that's, uh, you know, it's not orthodox. It's like right under orthodox as mm-hmm. far as how religious you are. But you could you could be a conservative Jew, but still vote for a liberal candidate or have liberal leanings. Yeah, exactly. And I think one of the big things, too, is there's also, there are so many sects. We even have conservadox, which is like another <laughs> sect between conservative and orthodox because it just fits that way. I would say nowadays, I would likely be more on the reconstructionist side, which is this whole idea of flipping Judaism on its head, having women as rabbis, reviewing what it means to be Jewish. But I don't go to shul or synagogue or temple. I know in the US you guys call it temple because my cousins in Chicago call it temple and I always found that weird. Um, But yeah, I don't really, don't go to synagogue. I don't keep kosher. If I do celebrate the holidays, it's because I like showing off that I'm Jewish to my girlfriend who is Catholic and from Brazil. (laughs) So yeah, even at this point, I wouldn't even 
put myself in that category. And yes, very much a liberal. And I think that that's really one of the coolest things about the Jewish community in Toronto is it's so vast and nuanced that there's something for everyone in it. And there are a lot of really lovely support systems here. I did want to ask, I talk with a lot of folks who have like a, a Christian upbringing. I haven't, I've talked about my own Jewish upbringing. And I, I was more, we were in a conservative temple, but we were, we were way, now that I know more, we were reform, you know, as far as the amount of religion that was instilled in me. But did they ever talk to you about queerness? Was that ever not pre we don't preach, but like, <laughs> <laughs> I, I just I don't remember it ever being discussed. I don't ever remember being told it's it's bad. It's good. It's whatever. I do know after I came out, my grandma had called her rabbi and her rabbi told her it was cool. Aww. So she had a double check with the god but um <laughs> after that then then she was good oh but she, she called i talked to the rabbi the rabbi says it's okay oh <laughs> was that part of your curriculum at any point in time <laughs> um that's a good question i think i thought of like i've been reflecting on this a lot recently growing up my mom was always like whoever you love i'm gonna love you no matter what and she kind of from day one, never really tried to assume who my brother and I might be interested in and was very much of the mindset that I'm going to love you no matter what. And my dad is also just like super, he's super logical about stuff. And as much as he can be black and white about the world, he's very understanding and observant of the fact that sexuality is fluid. So I think that's super cool. But even with that, growing up, I just didn't see a lot of queer relationships in my community. So even though it was never looked down upon, even though no one ever kind of said anything negatively about being queer, not having that kind of representation made me feel like, oh, okay, well, even though I might be feeling this way, it's not possibly for me because there's no one like me in my community that's like that. I mean, I think that's what took me an extra long time to come around to my bisexuality because I already knew I was into guys and you know in Judaism when you're into a nice Jewish boy everyone loves you but coming to terms with the fact of like oh, okay I like girls too and what does this mean I mean now me and all my Jewish friends we are like the queerest people ever we left our Jewish youth group came out and we're like look at us we're queer as hell and they've actually there's a fantastic group of people that have set up this week-long program at one of the summer camps specifically for Jewish queer youth to be able to go to summer camp for a week and like be their true selves and not have to worry about fitting any sort of straight mold. That's great. So I think we're doing a lot to be more visible in the community, but by no means did I feel at any point like it was frowned upon. It was more so just a lack of visibility. But to this day, my bubby, my grandmother, is like the cutest little bean ever. She asks about my girlfriend and wants to know what she's up to and wants to get to know her. And then my Zadie just actively doesn't ask questions about her. <laughs> so, but he's he's not outwardly saying anything wrong. However, he he does struggle quite a bit with anything outside of the norm that he understands. He's much more black and white. But yeah, I wouldn't say there was anything negative. And we had quite a good sex education curriculum and program at my Jewish day school. <laughs> I don't remember if we ever talked about sexualities or fluidity of sexualities, but I do remember learning at least quite a bit about anatomy and relationships and things like that. Yeah, it's definitely some open minds and there was no like, you're gonna burden whatever Jewish hell is. I actually recently did a stand-up set for one of the local synagogues and they asked me to do it. They had watched my stand-up, so I make jokes in my stand-up about being bi. And so then I got up and I did this set and it was the most liberating. I was terrified to make my bisexual joke on this like Zoom stand-up for the synagogue situation. But then I saw the rabbi's face and he was just so happy and laughing along and enjoyed it. And I think that was one of the most validating experiences I've been a part of as a queer Jew is just being able to go up, be my true self, be proudly Jewish and make jokes to the Jewish community that they'll understand while still being queer and that was awesome those moments I, I found I've had a lot of those moments in stand-up where I'm going in front of a crowd that I've kind of made a decision for where I'm like oh I'm in the middle of the country in Louisiana they're gonna hate the gay Jew that's in front of them and then I, I do my set anyway I'll do it and then it turns out to be really great and it turns out that you know there's actually queer people in the crowd or people that are just they love the set and it's it's interesting that we're just like oh this is I don't know how this is gonna go but we do it anyway and it usually turns out pretty great yeah I love when people surprise you I thought I've always been of the mindset that oh I don't want to have to come out that stupid heteronormativity stuff I don't want to have to come out and and so for a long time I kind of just kept it hidden 
but it wasn't even hidden it like it was still there but there was still something about it and I think it's really nice to be able to just like yell from the rooftops who you are and have people just be like okay cool now shut up we're trying (laughs) to sleep like (laughs) yeah I I love it when when we can just go out there that's awesome that you were able to just go out there with your liquid courage or whatever courage maybe (laughs) not liquid that you had and that people reacted so positively that's awesome part of me had almost scrapped that part of the set and was like i'll just do you know my jokes about uber eats or something like on the surface um and then i'm like no like i got i have to be me that's so empowering that's really really inspiring to hear because that's my whole issue with kind of how i grew up and what i'm trying to reconcile with is like it, it was a different time obviously and that makes sense but i feel like if i had even just heard one person from my community from being jewish or you know at the time all i had was being jewish <laughs> if i had just heard someone who even said anything about their sexuality and it wasn't a dude cuz i knew some gay guys but i didn't really know a lot of queer women if i had just heard that i think it would have made the biggest difference and so i think that that's really fantastic that you went out there and were able to do that because you never know who's going to be listening and who it might impact and that's what i love the most about comedy is being able to have people listen to a new perspective and enjoy it and also question their own thoughts and that's amazing. Yeah, I mean, it took me to like age, you know, 34 to do that. But I'm trying to think back because I, I only went to Jewish summer camp for like, oh, it was a weekend. Camp Ramada? I don't know. Ramada? Ramada, yeah. I did like just a weekend trip. It was kind of like they do like a sample to, to sell you on it for the summer. And I I hated it so much. And I, I think the reason why, you know, as I look back all these years later is, you know, I was like 12 or 13. It was around the bat mitzvah time. And everyone there was like, the girls just wanted the boys to like them. And and the boys just wanted to play sports. It was like that time when all the girls were getting kind of boy crazy. And I couldn't relate to it. And then I was like in this summer camp where that's all we were doing. It was just, I don't know if that's, I I, I try to think back too about, there was never a conversation about queerness in any sort of of the Jewish culture that I participated in. But there was definitely a lot of talk about marrying a nice Jewish boy or a Mm -hmm. nice Jewish doctor or, Mm -hmm. um, you know, (laughs) a nice Jewish boy who turns into a nice Jewish doctor. (laughs) There was like that implicit where they're not saying don't be queer, but they're saying this is what all the women have done before you and Mm -hmm. this is what you're expected to do kind of thing. So I'm like, was that there? Yeah, that's so true. I so see that at camp too. Like so many kids were obsessed with the boys and the boys would build these little like they put sheets up in their bunk beds so that they could have girls come over and like make out with them. And as much as I was into guys too, at the time, I very much was like hiding this part of myself that wasn't so hidden because my friend and I would like roll around on my bunk together and make it seem like we were like tickling each other. But really, obviously, we were both trying to like cop a feel like get something going. Honestly, I think summer camp maybe not summer camp, later on when I was in high school and being part of this Jewish youth group was really where I started exploring more and seeing more of my sexuality when it came to also liking women. Because, you know, Jews love a good dance. We love a good party. Being a part of this youth organization meant that we always had little dances or we'd go away for conventions for the weekend, which would inevitably also have a dance. And I'd always request the song I Kissed a Girl by Katy Perry. And then I (laughs) thankfully had a lot of female friends. (laughs) I thankfully had a lot of female friends who were very happy to just make out with me on the dance floor. And I got into a lot of trouble for it, which is also something that was incredibly scarring for me because even though it was all youth-led, we had some adults kind of overseeing everything, making sure that we didn't burn the place down. And one of these adult leaders would frequently chastise me for making out with my female friends on the dance floor. And at the time, I was like, but why? Like, the girls and the guys are making out and you don't care. But once the girls start making out, you do care. He's like, well, you're just doing it for attention, you know. And at the time, I I was. I mean, I love attention. And I used attention as... A, an excuse for why I didn't have to confront my sexuality. But then he went so far as to say, you're confusing people. And I was like, buddy, I'm confused. I don't even know what I'm trying to figure out. And so all of that back and forth, instead of him offering support and questions and kindness and like leaning in, his instinct was to chastise me because I was, I had a leadership position within the organization. Meanwhile, when the boys were running around being like, oh, 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 10 points for having made out with the international president, he didn't give a shit. But when it was one girl who was making out with other girls because she thought it was fun, 
but also she was questioning and like no one bothered to help. And we had, I remember the first girl in our chapter who came out as gay. She was the only one who came out in the entire time we were there. She had no problem with this. And she and I had had lots of conversations about sexuality. And I think just thanks to her and thanks to the female friends that I had that allowed me to explore made it still worthwhile. But it it was very traumatizing for me because I wasn't, I wouldn't have been able to come out in that environment. And it took me quite a few years after that to be like, no, wait, okay, this is who I am. I mean, it's terrible. Either nobody makes out or everybody gets to make out. Who's that guy to pass his judgment and tell you, tell you how you're feeling? You're confused. You're this. He doesn't know. Yeah. And also he's just dumb because <laughs> I, I would play. I, I would request I kissed a girl at every single dance. <laughs> so like, if you don't want this happening, buddy, talk to your DJ and be like, sorry, man, if this girl requests this, do not play it. But no, yeah. he never did. And it was the same DJ at every dance. So also, he's just not the smartest tool in the shed, <laughs> sharpest tool in the shed. So everybody knew what was going to happen. Yeah, you hear the first the first chord and you're like, ah, yes, it's time. Everyone gather around. <laughs> yeah, that that's on him. That's on him. But <laughs> that's tough too, because when you have adults telling you like, this is wrong, like sometimes I was a kid that obeyed everything and just listened to all adults and they were right and I was wrong. I would have definitely internalized a lot of that. Thankfully now, I'm so, so happy. One of my friends from the organization that we came through that kind of program together she's now one of the adult leaders and she's also queer and so she thankfully gets to be a really wonderful voice for the next generation and I don't think it was oh the Jewish community is like homophobic in the experience that I had I think it was just a different time when people didn't realize what they were saying had such large implications I don't think that they actively dislike queer people I think they just didn't understand the shapes and sizes and colors that we come in so that they can understand it's not just the flamboyant guy who loves a good outfit or like the super butch girl. There's so much, there's so many more of us than that. And I think that thankfully now we've reached that kind of discourse. Yeah, absolutely. And I know you've talked about it a little bit, but I do like to ask, and I always, I'll ask this question the way I always ask it. And I know you've, like I said, you've answered some of it, but it's kind of the coming out journey question of when did you come out to yourself? And then when did you start coming out to your friends and family? And then when, or did you always come out on stage? Was the was uh, talking about your queerness always part of your stage act? Or was that something that came with time? I think so I started stand up about a year and a half ago or two years ago now because COVID, but I don't like to include that time. <laughs> so I was already out with friends and family by the time I started stand up, but I was out in a way that I posted on social media a little bit for National Coming Out Day and had kind of talked about it a bit and have kind of started dating women too, but it wasn't, I didn't feel super confident in my identity yet. And it wasn't until I started doing stand up and standing on a stage with a microphone in a spotlight being like, I am bi. And here's a funny joke to send it all home that I truly started embracing my queer identity. So in terms of coming out to myself, I had always been questioning for as long as I can remember. As long as puberty existed, I was questioning. I was always fascinated with boobs and being like, oh, if I love boobs, does that mean I'm gay? But I also like penises. But what's bisexual? And at the time, culturally, the conversation was bi is on the way to gay. And so to me, bisexuality didn't exist. And so I was like, but I know I like penises, but I also like boobs, but I know I like penises, but vaginas are weird. And like, there's such a stigma around vaginas that Mm -hmm. I so internalized that instead of being like, oh yeah, my vagina is nice. I would instead say, I don't even like my own vagina. So how could I like someone else's? And that was obviously very damaging to say <laughs> to myself. And so it became this like hypersexualized thing instead of who do you love? Who do you connect with? Who inspires you? Who do you want to feel close to? Who do you want to hold? And so for a long time, I just oversexualized myself a lot, aka I kissed a girl at parties to Katy Perry. That was how I dealt with it. So for a long time, I was questioning myself. And then I think probably maybe around 20 years old, I was chatting with a friend of mine who was like, yeah, I think I'm bi too. And meanwhile, for the years prior to that, I was talking to friends about, oh yeah, I'm, I feel like I'm bi. And they're like, yeah, you totally are. And I'm like, no, but no, I'm not. And all my friends were like, Maxine, you are, and it's a thing and it's okay. And I'm like, "Mm, no, I don't think so. Um, So I think by the time one of my friends was like, I'm also bi, and I saw someone else 
who kind of was into the same things that I was. And we identified with similar experiences that I was finally like, okay, I'm bi. And then I posted on Facebook, I guess, maybe at 23 or 24, I posted on Facebook for National Coming Out Day. Because again, my bisexual friend had done so as well. And she gave me the courage to be like, I want to do this too. And I was like, I don't think I should have to come out because of heteronormativity, but I think that for a lot of people coming out is really important. And so I want to take this opportunity to tell you that I am bi slash pan slash queer slash whatever label you want to use for someone who is sexually fluid. And just the amount of love that I got out of that post, I was sweating buckets before I posted it, then posted it, went to a dance class, (laughs) ignored my phone stressfully for a little while then went back to it and was like holy shit I didn't realize how much I actually needed this then my parents were away on on a cruise when I posted it so my way of coming out to them was just I texted them and said hey guys check your Facebook (laughs) and uh and got some interesting interesting responses back from them my dad he has this running joke with me he calls me ugly which stands for unique guy loves you so it's just his way of saying i love you and Aww. he does that through saying things like blech so when i told him to check facebook his response was blech uh, and then when i told my mom she's like oh yeah haven't we talked about this already haven't you like mentioned it's more about the person than it is about their gender and i was like oh yeah i had like oh, he listened yeah <laughs> i've been just like having conversations yeah, it was it was fantastic. And so that's when I came out to them and then because thankfully of Facebook I got to, you know, scream something into the abyss and run away and that made it a lot easier. But doing stand up by far has been the biggest game changer for me in embracing my sexuality. And then of course, having a girlfriend, my first relationship ever at 26 years old, and it being this lovely, lovely human being, being with her has given me so much more confidence in my sexuality as well. And so it's it's still been a learning curve anywhere from 15 years of age through to 26 now, I would say I've only really become confident in the last two years, and then really understood or started honing in on an idea of my identity in the last four. Thank you for sharing. That's yeah, that's kind of why we I ask it as like this, you know, I just threw like five questions at you at once. But they're like all tied together. You know, every piece is it's another piece of that of the puzzle. And it's not just like this one moment of there is a one moment of you posted on Facebook, but look at all these things that led up to that moment. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it was a lot of hard work and crying and stress and sadness. I went on so many dates with so many guys and would come home in literal tears. And my mom would be like, what's wrong? Like, were they bad? And I'm like, no, they were all fine and lovely and kind human beings. I just, it just doesn't feel right. And I later learned it's not because I didn't like any of them, but because I wasn't being honest with myself or with my family or even with them. Once I came out and I would go on dates with guys, I would make sure that they would watch my stand-up so that that could be me coming out to them (laughs) without me actually having to come out to them. But I wanted to be as honest and truthful as possible. Keeping secrets makes me really uncomfortable. I think that's why I do well at stand-up because I just get up there and like word vomit about my butthole and everything's fine. Uh, (laughs) So I realized that just like going on dates without being honest with myself and engaging in relationships without being honest with myself put such a toll on my mental health that I didn't even realize until I was out of it. Yeah, I mean, that's the thing. You're on the other side of it now and you're just like, it's so clear Mm -hmm. and- that's great that you've, you know, you've taken the time out to really put the work into to figure out who you are and what you're comfortable with. Yeah, thanks. I gotta ask, hopefully it's a meet cute. Is that the right phrase? How did you meet your girlfriend? Oh, classic dating app. We used Hinge, the app meant to be deleted. If you can, uh, you know, get a sponsorship for this episode from Hinge, there's your tagline, <laughs> Hinge. The app made to be deleted. Yeah, we met through that. I was on the app searching through, chatting with people, and had started this conversation with her. It kind of went nowhere, but I kept going back to her profile and seeing her dimples and her smile and her eyes. And it just got me. And I was like, maybe she just sucks at social media. Maybe she sucks at texting. I'm not going to let this girl get away just because an app made me feel insecure about myself. So I sent her a message and was like, screw this app. It sucks do you want to get a drink? And she was like, sure. And we got a drink and immediately within like 30 seconds of seeing each other, I was like, whoa, holy shit. Uh, And she has said the same about me, which is really cute. And I love telling that story. But yeah, we got it. We got a drink. She made me on our first date, made me make a decision about 
what we were both going to drink. And I'm horrible at making decisions. So I just sat there in an anxious panic trying to figure out what I should order and if she would like it because I was ordering for the both of us. And what if she didn't like it? Then I would have just ruined this entire date. Yeah, it would have just all been over. Yeah. Clearly. (laughs) Yeah. So, but it went really well. And me being the like super organized, logical person that I am, because I had to come downtown for this date, which is an hour commute for me on public transit. I was like, okay, I'm going to set up another date after this one. So I can just like, you know, knock them all out and see, do I like any of these people? Is it worth my time? Mm -hmm. So of course, I like leave this date with her. And I'm like, Oh, yeah, I have to uh, get to like another dinner with a friend. But like, yeah, we'll talk soon. And then I went to this date with this other girl and was like, No, I just want to be with my now girlfriend. And uh, it was it was very validating and cute to be like, Okay, now I know. But it's also the most me thing to just, of course, I'm going to set up multiple dates when I'm downtown in a specific location because commuting sucks. That's an hour each way. Yeah. You got to, you know, bet on yourself. So you're like two dates, one's got to be good. Exactly. And also if like one date only lasts an hour and the other date lasts two, well, okay, I've commuted an hour each way for three hours of entertainment rather than commuting one hour each way for one hour of entertainment. Just like numbers, you know, the numbers make sense. <laughs> so what uh, what drinks did you order? I got us gin and tonics, the drinks of sociopaths. <laughs> is it? I was like, that's a classic drink. Yeah, but apparently is it sociopath or psychopaths? Apparently one of the paths really like gin and tonics. Oh, that yeah. will explain a lot about my past. yeah we're big fans and now we always drink gin and tonics together and it's our thing it's our drink oh that's really cute i'm glad i asked that at the end of the podcast because i am trying since covid very hard to end things on a positive note oh and that was a perfect positive note but before we go i would love for you to tell us what is up next for you what's your social media where can people find your stuff Where can people connect with you? Awesome. So on Instagram, I'm at Maxine Grossman. That's M-A-X-I-N-E Grossman. And then on Twitter, I'm Maxine underscore Grossman because the other handle was taken by a personal trainer in Montreal. And she won't give it to me. and She hasn't tweeted in many years. If someone hasn't tweeted in like 10 years, I feel like you should be able to kick them off. I'm going to try. You know what? I'm going to give it another try. I tried sending her a DM a few years ago to be like, please, can I have your your Twitter handle? It'll match my Instagram one. And I never heard from her, but she's doing quite well in her business. So maybe if I email her business, (laughs) I'll be able to get it. But also she's a fitness person. So, you know, you might want to just do that over the computer and not in person. Yes. Oh my God. Cause she would totally beat me up. That is so true. So those are my Instagram and Twitter. You can also check me out on YouTube. My YouTube channel is Maxine Grossman Entertainment and Things. Cause I entertain and things. And I have a website, Maxine-Grossman.com. And coming up for me, I will likely be eating excessive amounts of potato chips on my couch while watching RuPaul's Drag Race. You know, you can always hit me up, send me a DM. I check all of my DMs all the time because I'm narcissistic like that. And um, just working on writing TV shows right now and pitching them around. And hopefully I can have good news the next time we chat. Yeah. And anytime you have good news, just let us know. We'll put it on all our social media. Uh, we like to keep up with what everybody's doing. Where it's like a, it's a Jewish thing. Once you're in the family, you're, like, you're stuck. You're <laughs> that stuck is in so the true. Family. Yeah. <laughs> One of us. One of us. <laughs> People talk about the gay agenda. Let me tell you, Jews, we <laughs> spread ours. I'm joking. Oh my God, that's going to come across like so bad. No one take that and twist it into something. That's what everybody thinks. And we're just like, no, we're, we're really chill. We're actually we are really so chill. chill. All we want to do is make you food. That's it. We just want to feed you. I mean, think about when when you convert, when someone converts to Judaism, the rabbi has to reject them like three times and then they have to go through all these fucking tests. Like, like, we don't make it easy because we're like, we don't, we're we're not trying to recruit you. Yeah, that's so true. Man, no wonder I'm so good at getting rejected. (laughs) It like runs in our blood. You're like, it's supposed to happen at least three times a day. At least three times a day. (laughs) That makes so much sense now. Yes. I'm glad my limited Jewish teaching has changed your (laughs) your perspective on on this. (laughs) Well, thanks so much for doing the podcast. Thanks so much for having me on the podcast. This was a ton of fun. It was. Thank you. And hopefully one day when COVID's over, I can visit you in New Orleans. Yes. (laughs) I run um, run a a few shows. Well, I postponed not canceled um but yeah i run two two monthly queer shows and a weekly just regular stand-up show so uh when those get back around you should come by and say hey that would be awesome i can't wait
again. <laughs> great, great. So, uh, I don't know if you can tell, but I'm Jewish. <laughs> and when I was in high school, I was in what I like to call a Jew crew. It was a Jewish youth organization. And so with my type A personality, I of course had to be the leader of the Jews. <laughs> like a modern Moses. <laughs> but without the staff and beard, still parting seas though, if you know what I mean. <laughs> and I learned a lot of valuable things in this youth organization. Uh, I learned about community service and traditions and that Jews are horny motherfuckers. <laughs> I think it's because of Hitler. I think, I, I don't think we're horny for Hitler, baby, no. I just think we're trying to get back at him for what he did to us. You know, procreate the shit out of our community. You can't get rid of us, Hitler. How's that for a slow burn? <laughs> I learned a lot about my sexuality in this youth group because uh, we have a lot of dances and I'd always request the song I Kissed a Girl by Katy Perry and make out with my female friends on the dance floor. <laughs> At the time I was like, nah, I'm not bisexual, I'm just an attention whore. Turns out I'm both. <sighs> yeah, it's very weird growing up being attracted to everybody because then you're told you have to pick a side. You know, pick a side. Are you gay? Are you straight? Oh, but all I wanted was a side of fries. <laughs> and then I thought about bifocals. Because if glasses can have multiple prescriptions and be this fluid, why can't sexuality? <laughs> right? <laughs> And if you don't like bifocals, you're really just short-sighted. <laughs> uh, yeah. I'm a very emotional person. I have a lot of feels. My friend, she hates her feels. I love my feels. I like to think of mine as confetti. <laughs> Huzzah, despair. <laughs> Huzzah, depression. Huzzah, suicide. <laughs> Yeah, it's a lot of fun. And when I'm really feeling myself, when I'm feeling good though, I'll go on Tinder. Um, but when I'm like in my feels and feeling shitty, I'll go on Pet Finder. <laughs> I just, I think it's because there's a lot less penetration that way. Oh yeah, speaking of penetration, when I was in grade eight. <laughs> Yeah, no, I'm not gonna make a joke about being penetrated in grade eight. I'm gonna tell you about how when I was in grade eight, I did a speech for a speech contest about female genital mutilation in developing countries. And I did this at a Jewish day school. So I think it hit a little too close to home for the boys. But I did get an A plus on this speech, however, did not move on to the next round of the speech contest. And I think that's just another way that they're silencing women. <laughs> yeah, because <sighs> yeah, if you've had a uterus lately, life's been kind of shit. <laughs> you know, from Alabama to Missouri to... Oh, but I'm a positive person. I like to think of the positives. I like to think we still have lots of choices in life. Like between an alleyway and a coat hanger. <laughs> Yeah, women, we, we have a lot to think about. We have a lot of our mortality to think about. You know, we have to think about rape and murder and toxic shock syndrome. <laughs> if you don't know what that is, it's uh, caused by bacterial toxins if you leave a tampon in for too long, and it can kill you. <laughs> so for three to seven days every month for about 30 to 40 years, we're narrowly escaping death. <laughs> There's a really big divide between men and women. Uh, ask about a man about using a public restroom to pee, and it's fine, just whip it out while standing. 
Ask a woman and everything is disgusting except her own personal washroom at home. And I think it's because we have to sit down to pee. And it's a very vulnerable thing to open up your asshole. <laughs> Take anal sex, for example. There's always the fear of shitting yourself. You can be like 90% confident, okay? But that's like gray bed sheets level confident. No one is 100% white bed sheets level confident. Um, but I have been feeling very empowered lately because when I go to get my butthole waxed, I hold open my own ass cheek. Thank you. Uh, I'm just an independent woman who don't need no esthetician's assistant. Thanks so much, everyone. Thank you to our guest, Maxine Grossman, for sharing her world with us. Special thank you to Ryan Golub for creating our awesome, awesome theme song. Thank you all for tuning in. We're so happy to have another episode. Find us on social media. Instagram, Facebook at Near and Queer to My Heart, on Twitter at Queer to My Heart. Be old school and email us, Near and Queer to My Heart at gmail.com. Check out our merch at tpublic.com, T E E public.com. Thank you, and we'll see you next episode. Thank you. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.